Today from the Global Lane, two-state solution? It's not the Palestinians and Israel. Ethnic Uyghurs want the U.S. Congress to call on China to leave East Turkestan. The root of the ongoing uh, genocide against Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples is none other than Chinese occupation and colonization of East Turkestan. Pandemic aftermath. The last time Americans spent this much money for food, George W. Bush was president. Why U.S. consumers are paying more. Supply chain bottlenecks um, uh, matter a lot. And then you had all this fiscal stimulus spending uh, that was really at an unprecedented level. Two of the chosen actors share their thoughts on what should be next for the series. John ends up on the island of Patmos, so hey, there are endless opportunities there. Spin off, spin. And finally, Vindicated. The canceled UK Christian who stood up for biblical values is cleared of wrongdoing. But where does he go to restore his reputation? And it's all right here on The Global Lane. During the Gaza War, many Palestinians have claimed that Israel is a colonizer and occupier of Palestine. However, historical facts prove otherwise. Half a world away, a true occupation is underway in East Turkestan, the homeland of the Uyghur people. A coalition of 60 global groups are now urging the U.S. Senate to pass the Uyghur Policy Act. The legislation would recognize East Turkestan as Chinese-occupied territory. Well, joining us with more is the former prime minister of the East Turkestan government in exile, Saleh Hudayar. Saleh, it's good to talk with you again. So many of our viewers are unaware that the People's Liberation Army actually invaded East Turkestan in 1949. They call it Xinjiang province, but East Turkestan, like Tibet, has been occupied ever since then. So this act has already received approval by the House. Tell us why is it so important to the Uyghur people? The root of the ongoing uh, genocide against Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples is none other than Chinese occupation and colonization of East Turkestan. Uh, recently, as, as you mentioned, the House passed the Uyghur Policy Act, uh, which doesn't uh, yet recognize East Turkestan as an occupied country, but takes certain steps, such as appointing a special coordinator uh, for Uyghur issues at the uh, U.S. Uh, State Department. Uh, we are calling on over 61 uh, Uyghur and other East Turkestani organizations from across the globe have signed on to a joint letter urging Congress to, one, thank the House for passing the Uyghur uh, Policy Act, but also urging uh, the Senate to pass it, as well as to introduce uh, uh, a resolution or legislation to recognize East Turkestan as an occupied country uh, to underscore the root of the ongoing genocide. Well, what would this act actually accomplish then? Is it more than just a declaration or sanctions or other consequences included in the act if China does not end the occupation? Well, so this is the first step. Um, it would reiterate that it's that uh, China's occupation of East Turkestan is illegal. Uh, it would give uh, moral and spiritual uh, support to the East Turkestani people. Um, it would resist China's attempts to erase East Turkestan um, for, for momentarily. Uh, it would be like the very uh, first basic step taken by the United States before uh, any other real concrete actions are taken to uh, support uh, East Turkestan ag against uh, Chinese occupation. Well, we've detailed a lot of their atrocities over the years here, over the last four years at least, and I'm sure a lot of people, though, are skeptical uh, that this act would actually bring about change when many members of Congress and other politicians and business people 
are benefiting financially from close ties with the Chinese Communist Party. So you've told us before that as many as 3 million Uyghurs may be imprisoned or used by the CCP for forced labor. So uh, are Nike, other companies, still manufacturing products in China that use Uyghur forced labor? Tell us what you know about this. I mean, which ones are still involved? Which ones have stopped? Unfortunately, uh, many of these companies are still continuing to uh, use uh, Uyghur uh, forced labor and slave labor in their supply chains. Um, you have you know, big companies like Pfizer, Tesla, Apple, uh, that are profiting uh, from the uh, genocide and forced labor of Uyghurs, unfortunately. Um, but what this uh, resolution and what the other asks that we have called on the U.S. Congress to initiate would do is apply uh, maximum pressure on, on China, but also send a signal to the business communities that, um, that, that they need to start pulling out. And many have already started pulling out China, but we just need it to be more uh, faster and swifter. Is Nike still there? Do you know? Uh, unfortunately, yeah, Nike is still operating in China, and some of, her, of its suppliers are still uh, tainted with uh, uh, Uyghur uh, slave labor. Okay, so what can our viewers do about all this? The, the first thing, you know, over the five years, uh, the, the American public uh, have learned about the Uyghurs. They've learned about uh, the fact that the Uyghurs are facing genocide. Now it's time to learn that the Uyghurs uh, had their own nation. They were historically an independent nation, and they're striving to uh, regain their independence once more. And so they should, uh, you know, urge their members of Congress to uh, support, uh, uh, you know, adopting a resolution recognizing East Turkestan as an occupied country and uh, urging the U.S. government and their elected officials to explore the possibilities of an independent East Turkestan. Okay, Salih Hudayar, spokesman for the East Turkestan government in exile. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. What goes up must come down. It seems Isaac Newton's theory of gravity doesn't apply to food prices at restaurants and grocery stores. It's been 30 years since American consumers paid as much as they are now for food. Well, here to explain what's happening and why is Young Voices commentator Jonathan Hartley. Mr. Hartley is a research fellow at the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity and Research Associate at the Hoover Institution. Okay, Jonathan, you've done the research, although President Biden says Bidenomics is working. These statistics tell a different story. Although inflation has cooled a bit over last year, American consumers still paying high prices for groceries and food at restaurants. Why is that? Well, uh, you're absolutely right uh, that food now makes up uh, about 11% of disposable income of Americans. And this is the first time that's been the case since uh, the 1990s. Um, you know, it's, it's really important. Uh, this is actually a really important development because inflation historically has been higher for poor individuals. Uh, and that's really for two reasons. One, a greater share of the poor's income is spent on food and energy. And, and two, the, the poor spend a greater fraction of their income uh, and, and save a lot less than higher income individuals. There's been uh, a lot of uh, discussion about what's caused inflation over the past uh, a few years, uh, you know, which has been the, the greatest uptick in inflation since the 1980s. Uh, it, some of the biggest um, uh, debates have been around the role of supply chain bottlenecks from the pandemic, uh, excessive uh, fiscal stimulus that um, was passed under both the, the Trump and Biden administrations, uh, and, and then also whether central banks like the Federal Reserve 
have been uh, slow to raise rates, uh, raise interest rates in response. I think we have a lot to be grateful for in the sense that uh, in the U.S., GDP is, is still rising um, you know, compared to other countries, say, in Western Europe or, or in Canada, where GDP per capita has been essentially flat for the past decade. Uh, so there, there's really something about uh, American exceptionalism in economic growth. Uh, and that's a trend that I think is, is going to continue with, uh, you know, these uh, the latest developments around AI um, that could potentially lead to a productivity boom that we haven't seen maybe since the age of the computer in the 1990s. Yes, American workers are very hardworking, and I'm sure part of the food problem is the inability to move goods across the country. You'd mentioned that, touched on it. Uh, transportation bottlenecks. The United States still suffers from a shortage of truck drivers. About 80,000 jobs are open. That number is expected to double within the next five to 10 years to 160,000. So how does that factor into high food costs? Well, you're absolutely right that uh, you know supply chain bottlenecks um, uh, matter a lot. Remember, uh, you know, there's all these lockdowns, you know, shut, essentially, you know, a uh, an imposed uh, shutdown of the economy in many respects. Uh, and then you had all this fiscal stimulus, you know, people had all these uh, stimulus checks um, uh, ready to spend. And then when they decided to reopen the economy in, uh, you know, late uh, 2021, 2022, uh, you know, there was this, you know, burst of, of spending and, and, you know, a lot of those uh, supply chains uh, don't come back on um, as easily, um, you know, whether it's, you know, hiring, uh, getting more truck drivers on the road, um, getting, um, you know, shipping uh, items uh, moving on time. How about rising wages? I know many states uh, uh, have increased the minimum wage. I'm sure that means the local butcher or grocery store uh, will raise their food prices to consumers to cover the cost increases, right? Or is it just price gouging? Well, I'm... I'm uh, I guess not a huge fan of the whole price gouging story. I don't think there's a, a whole ton of um, empirical evidence. Uh, I, I do think that you know there there has been um, a role that policies played in, in all of this. Um, you know we're seeing uh, you know spending uh, that was really at an unprecedented level, uh, federal spending um, through uh, you know everything from uh, the CARES Act early on in the pandemic to uh, the American uh, Recovery Plan, uh, the ARP, to um, the the, uh, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act, and so when you get uh, you know so much more uh, money in the economy, chasing uh, much fewer goods, you know you tend to get these sort of inflationary spurts, and and so I think that's played a big role. I don't necessarily think that um, that minimum wage increases um, you know, they are generally pretty localized, and, and also you know we've seen um, you know trade policy that's shifted a bit. Um, that um, you know, makes um, the outsourcing of food from abroad um, somewhat more expensive. Um, I, I think there's a, a number of things that have happened in, in recent years that potentially could explain uh, why food prices have gone up so much. Okay, we'll see where this all heads, especially in an election year. Young Voices commentator Jonathan Hartley. Thank you, Jonathan, for sharing those insights. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. With over 200 million viewers, The Chosen, a show about Jesus and his disciples, is one of the most watched shows in the world. Episodes one through six of season four are already on screens in theaters. The final two episodes of season four hit the big screen February 29th. You'll recognize our next guest. Luke Dimian portrays Judas, and George Xanthus is the actor portraying John. So thank you, George and, and Luke, for being with us. Uh, George, when you were first accepted for the role, as John, what were your thoughts? I mean, no one knew at the time that 
just how big this series would be. I um I have to be honest. I I thought it was John the Baptist. So uh, I uh, was initially like, oh, like I did, I someone had to say to me, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I was like, oh, I can, yeah, wasn't as well versed as what I am now. But um, yeah, I. I was kind of also like fretting because as an actor, you kind of look through and you kind of like, oh, you know, and when I saw John the Baptist, I was kind of fretting going, oh no, I, I know what happens to John the Baptist. But then I was pleasantly surprised to learn it's John the apostle. And then John is like the last disciple. Like he's like the 12th disciple to kind of, to leave us, let's just say. Um, and uh, yeah, that made me go like, oh, okay. Now I know, I know this character a little bit more. Yeah, good Good thing it wasn't John the Baptist. You would have ended up uh, with a short career there in the series. Uh, that's, what so. I, that's what I was saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luke, uh, you, you weren't introduced until the end of season two, so you already knew the show was a hit uh, when, it's, when you started the series. So what was your feeling at the time? Did it mean a little more pressure on you to perform, to get that character right? Oh, not, uh, not really. I hadn't uh, known about the show until, until I got cast. But believe it or not, I don't think the the hit really started to carry uh I, I wasn't there from the beginning so i didn't get the full experience of starting the four episodes getting picked up for the other four to finish season one but i could i definitely could tell a difference our our uh from the switch from the what were the the little trailer wagons to oh yeah little trailers and full sets and times and the production value changed so I actually uh, really, I got in the tail end of it really blowing up. So that was, that was interesting. And that was really fun to get to be a part of right, right there, right at the end. Well, for both of you, I'm sure your roles have changed you personally and as actors. So after all, Luke, you're playing the role of the most notorious biblical figure in human history or one of them and George, one of the most esteemed. So how's it changed both of you personally and as actors? Well, I can afford healthcare now which is nice. <laughs> so I, uh, but yeah, honestly, now I have this incredible, amazing family of actors and artists who I can like lean on through work. I've learned so much just by watching them perform and by constantly being like pushed, not just by the scenes and the dialogue, but like the elements, like we are out there in the beating suns of Texas and Utah constantly and so it's it's a really fun experience to constantly come back and get to work with people that you you enjoy immensely and to do work that's just constantly challenging you how about you george yeah i, th I think that um nuts and bolts as an actor like becoming comfortable on set and being able to do this with people you love and trust really does change you as a performer it makes you super comfortable and uh it makes me long for the chosen i remember doing some jobs in between seasons uh in you know seasons two and three and i remember thinking like I wish I was back home, you know, I call it home now. So as a, as an actor, like the nuts and bolts as a professional, you kind of, you feel that like, you know, that's the, the nine to five of the job you come in, you have your breakfast and all that stuff is kind of like things that people don't really see. But also as a character with John, it's just, um, you know, as you could probably tell from my earlier story, I wasn't 
as well versed, uh, you know, in, in, in John's gospel as what I am now. I kind of read it as research. I'd never read, you know, that part of the Bible or I'd never read the, read the New Testament like I'm, I'm kind of reading it now for my character. And I would say the main thing is, is that we say this all the time that the show brings the, uh, the, the stained glass window images of these disciples off the walls and in and amongst us. And I'd, I'd say something like, you know, somebody like John, who, like you said, very esteemed, uh, turning him into a relatable character and being able to use parts of myself in him. I can imagine audience members will look at John and see him, you know, as a son of thunder, very zealous, and then his trajectory to becoming, you know, the beloved disciple or the disciple of love, as some people call him as well, and going, oh, you know, that's that kind of, that's that's a journey that maybe I can go on. And John misses the mark a couple of times. He doesn't get it right the first time. And it's a good learning experience for people that we don't always have to be perfect. We just have to strive to be better. Yeah, Jesus called imperfect people uh, to be his followers. Mm. Luke, do, do people ever confuse you for the character in, uh, that you portray and kind of reject you because they see you as the disciple who betrayed Jesus? No, I think our fandom's smarter than that. I good. think they're well aware and... Uh, know the difference between an actor and uh, a character. Plus, I haven't done anything to make them hate me yet, so. But tell us <laughs> what we can expect in the final few episodes of season four. What's the takeaway for people? I guess the takeaway would just be, no matter the hardships that you go through, the loss that you may face and the pain that you may endure, there's always hope and there's always love and there's always a promise of a of a better tomorrow. And if we focus on those, we'll be able to persevere through those hardships. Well, you guys, you have three more seasons. Uh, we know how this yeah. will end, right? More like one and a half for, one and a half for you. <laughs> we know Judas commits suicide, but George, your character goes on to live a long life writing one of the gospels, three letters of the New Testament. So is there any talk about continuing the series by maybe portraying the book of Acts, the early church, the writers of the Gospels? Well, this is kind of what I was getting to when I was talking about the confusion between John the Baptist and, and John the Apostle. Like, I mean, there is a, a there are endless opportunities there. And, and, and you know what? Maybe I'm speaking directly to the producers of the show. I know that being a Greek person as well with a Greek passport, um, John ends up on the island of Patmos. So, hey, if we want to do some sort of, you know, mm -hmm. if we want to do something there, send George to Greece. You know, I've got some... I got some contacts there. Maybe we can see what happens with John after the fact. So, hey, if, if it's in the works, I'm all for it, considering what John ends up doing. Spin well, off, spin off, spin. <laughs> on a lighter note, before we wrap this up, uh, you guys ever get tired of playing second fiddle to Jonathan Rumi? I mean, after all, he portrays Jesus. You ever step in and remind him that he's just an actor like you guys? No, can, no. I'm like, I, take the weight. Yeah, he's got so many yeah. lines. Do not envy him. Well, I, I don't have to remind him. And me and him have done karaoke together. We used to live very close to each other. We used to watch uh, three movies a week with our AMC, you know, membership. So me and Jonathan got really, really close as the season kind of started and we've stayed close. So he, he honestly, he is still that, you know, goofy, goofy mate of mine. And I'll always see him as that, despite the fact that he's probably Jesus to so many other people. Yeah, he's such yeah, a humble jo guy. Jonathan's yeah, Jonathan's a real good guy. He doesn't need any reminder. He he knows the part he's playing, and I think he appreciates the separation more than more than anyone else. Like he's he's just an inspiration to be around and to work with. He's fantastic. 
Well, we appreciate you guys too. The Chosen Season 4, Episodes 7 and 8 will be in theaters starting February 29th. Uh, Luke Dimion and George Xanthus, thank you for your time. God bless you guys. Cheers, mate. In the UK, vindication for a Christian counselor, King Lawal, as the Conservative Party clears him of wrongdoing for tweeting, Pride is sin. We interviewed Lawal last July after he was fired and canceled for sharing his biblical views about LGBTQ pride events. This is what he tweeted that raised the ire of seven organizations, including Britain's Conservative Party, which suspended him. Lawal said, quote, Pride is not a virtue, but a sin. Those who have pride should repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ. He can save you. And he referenced Isaiah 3.9 and said whatever God calls sin is nothing to be proud of. Folks, whether you agree with Lowell's statements is not the point. He didn't deserve to have his life and reputation destroyed for sharing his Christian views. Where is free speech? Don't UK citizens have the right to share their views? Britain signed the UN Declaration of Human Rights, which insists that everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. Seven months ago, Lawal told us he had to speak out for truth after seeing online images of naked men parading around children at a gay pride event. Really what prompted me was uh, seeing these, these really, really first scenes um, on, on these marches and, and wondering why these things are allowed to sort of go ahead. So let's see. Nothing happens if you parade around naked in front of children during gay pride month. But speaking out against it gets you in trouble. The Conservative Party reinstated Lawal last fall, and now six months later, their investigation is complete. The disciplinary panel ruled, quote, it would be wrong to conflate an objection to the pride movement as homophobic. Bravo. Some of us may remember former U.S. Labor Secretary Raymond Donovan, who was acquitted in 1987 of fraud charges against New York City. After the trial, Donovan said, quote, which office do I go to to get my reputation back? Well, the same goes today for King Lawal. Yes, he's been vindicated for his commitment to his Christian convictions. But the only place he can go to now to restore his life and career is on his knees before God. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Rumble, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.